With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James, and well, ladies and gentlemen, strap in. This could be one hell of a podcast. Since the restart, Nort scored, five conceded, and we've slipped from third pushing on second to fifth pushing on seventh. It's a real state of affairs at Craven Cottage. What's the future for Scott Parker? What's the future for Fulham? Do we even want to get promoted at all? We'll discuss all the fallout from yesterday's big defeat up at Leeds, as we can probably now well and truly say that the automatic promotion race is over and uh here to lift the spirits a little bit it's farrell monk hello everyone drew heatley hi guys and ben jarman hello boys and girls well i mean lots to get through today um we should probably start off with some three word reviews i think we thought that we um set a record last weekend and then this happened 239 on Twitter. Uh, Drew, would you like to take us through the best three-word reviews? You have a few here that uh, sort of all echo the same sort of thing. We've got uh, from Jacob Krupa, uh, Question Parker's Future. Uh, our good friend Sol Bamba, um, Socially Distancing Premiership, which I'll accept the use of Premiership for in, in order to squeeze it into three words. Um, and, you know, I'm going to back myself today and give uh, my... my uh, attempt uh Elland of story very, when it comes nice. to the autos anyway yeah i saw lots of uh Elland of road and uh things like that being put in um but yeah as you said as you can imagine a pretty miserable read of the three word reviews um this week uh farrell i'll start with you i would go through the game and in each part and maybe we'll do that in a little bit but it feels at the moment we need to get some feelings off our chest because it's been an absolute horror show um since the kind of restart of championship football for fulham i said last week would fulham fans be panicking if we lost to leeds and the the general overall consensus was no but i get the sense that there is quite a lot of panic yeah i think that you're we're all quite right in saying that last week when you asked the question would we panic if we lost against Leeds and the answer was no then but I think the manner of the defeat has really got a lot of pulses raising and not in a good way Um, we've talked a lot in the past about Parker's game management and how it's it's lacking and that really came to the fore that he was outthought by you know or by an incredibly experienced and successful manager in Bielsa Um, but you know, it was the manner of it. It wasn't just the fact that Fulham were, you know, hugely on top from large parts of that first half. And then it swung completely the opposite way. It wasn't like Leeds slowly came back into it. It was obviously going into half time. Obviously, Scott Parker must have just said, Karen, as you are, we're doing really, really well. And Bielsa decided to change, was reactive and changed things up. Um, you know, it's quite good for them that they can bring on the talent of Pablo Hernandez. 
Um, but Parker couldn't really sort of think to himself, I, you know, Bielsa's going to change things up here. I should probably do something about it. But it wasn't just that. It was the fact that 10, 15 minutes into that, it was Leeds firmly on top for that, you know, first bit of the, of the, um, of the second 45 and Parker didn't do anything about it or buy it, you know, just before the, the second goal, which I really think was actually probably the killer in the game. And, um, that, you know, they had the Bobby Reed chance, which, um, was a guilt ed chance and he should be putting that away to be honest. Um, but apart from that, there wasn't really a good spell at all for the, for the Fulham team. And, you know, I, I I don't think all things considered it was a, it was a hugely terrible performance. I think it's the manner of it that um, the way that the goals were conceded, especially they were so they were so easy and preventable um, goals to concede, and we've seen it time and time again this season, and it hasn't been remedied uh, by the man at the top. I mean, Ben, there's a lot of people questioning Scott Parker's future and it's been really hard on the podcast this season. It's felt like the fan base has been very knee-jerk to results. There's been a real divide of Parker in, Parker out. We lose two games and the Parker out brigade come in and we can't believe that Tony would have ever given a job to someone so inexperienced, but then he wins three games in a row and the Parker in brigade is saying we're not giving him a chance. He's been learning... As you could imagine, the Out Brigade are in full force and I sympathise with them. We're in a weird situation and I think the fact that there are so so many in and out is the fact that overall, Scott Parker is a very inexperienced manager in a very pressurised situation and results like yesterday, outcomes like yesterday are inevitable when you put a rookie like Scott Parker against someone of the calibre of Bielsa. We were surprised it didn't happen in December, but today was exactly what we were fearing back in that match just before Christmas. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on in your analysis. There's as many positives about Parker as there are negatives, to be perfectly frank with you. But I think the the immediate counter to the argument is look at Brentford's manager, Thomas Franco. His is also a rookie manager here. He's had no real experience in in any other league um, other than the Danish youth setup and, and a, a half a season or so in in Denmark itself. But he seems to be able to tactically shift games towards his con- the control of his team. Whereas Parker can't. I think a lot of our, our good results pull on the team and those individual players stepping up with moments of brilliance rather than it being a tactical switch from Scott. I think that there's been maybe one or two examples throughout the season of where an actual tactical change has gone on to influence the game in a positive fashion for Fulham. And I think these two games since lockdown have really underlined his naivety at at the tactics needed to succeed at this level. Yes, we've got the best team on paper in the championship, so we should naturally be near the top of the table. But I do feel like it's at times the players that are pulling Scott over the line here. And at the times when we've needed him the most, he's been coming up short. I think, as I said just a second ago, those two games since lockdown, we saw after half time both opposition managers making positive changes that swung the game in their favour. Scott was massively on top against Marcelo Bielsa yesterday, as he was uh, with the corresponding game at home. But this time, didn't ram any advantage home whatsoever. And yes, he called uh, Bielsa's game scripted back in December. But this is where a scripted game comes to comes to the forefront because that Bielsa side yesterday 
was so flexible. They they were so well drilled against a, a team that was massively unbalanced with people that had no real tactical understanding of what the manager wanted. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty damning indictment, but I think it's fair in this stage. And okay, uh, Parker managed to kind of outsmart Bielsa in December, but don't forget that Leeds were massively in top on that game. And okay, we were all happy at the time and that we felt that we dealt with the kind of Leeds pressure very well in that game. We also got lucky that Pablo Hernandez, who was a difference maker yesterday, got injured in the third minute of that game back in December, comes back after 45 minutes and it's it's clear what Leeds were missing that day. Drew, just maybe um, sum up your feelings, especially after hearing what, what Farrell and Ben have had to say. Obviously, um, you know, Farrell mentioned that that Bielsa was uh, sort of reacted at half time and changed changed the way that Leeds were were organised and, and made a substitution. But that was you know that's Bielsa being proactive. You know he took off Costa, he set up Bamford in t- on ten minutes and brought on Alioski, who then scores repays the you know the faith putting him a few minutes later and and makes it two. And then you know you only have to look at the substitutions throughout the game to show the difference between the managers. I know it's not the be all and end all, but you know we we we're making this treble substitution on seventy five minutes when we're already two nil down uh probably some of the least inspired substitutions that we've that we've seen and it's i said on twitter you know scott's not reactive or proactive he's he's passive he just he's just does nothing he doesn't know how to change a game when uh when when it's not going his way and we've seen it time and time again um yesterday for me was the time that i sort of lost patience with him but you know the, the caveat to that is what what do you do at this stage of the season not a lot is the answer i think uh you know automatics i think of you know in the dust now we all accept that and i think most of us knew that in the first place even though you know the the, the glass half full ones among us who i count myself among that you know hope that we might be able to hit the ground running but it's it, it's you know it was a it was a nine game sprint to the end of the season and if you lose the first two well you, you know that's that's over a fifth of the games that you have left and it's uh you're in trouble uh and that's what we're at, at the moment i think yeah. And, you know, you could say that actually we are no further away this weekend from the top two than we were. But you just have to look at West Brom's fixtures to realise there will be an upturn. They face Sheffield Wednesday next in midweek. That's probably their hardest game coming up. They've got Hull City who are doomed. Blackburn isn't the easiest test that they've got in a couple of weeks time. They face us, of course. Then it's Huddersfield. I just don't. I think we can put it to bed and yeah you can get a sound bite of me in two months time if we somehow do manage to get above them but it's it's almost clear to me now that Scott is a dead man walking isn't he because it feels to me inevitable no matter what happens we could sneak up via the playoffs and I still think the outcome will need to be Scott can't be here next season. Scott, if you looked at how he got out-managed yesterday, basically, how's he going to fare against Pep and Arteta and Lampard and, and Klopp, for God's sake? It's, it's, it's quite scary, isn't it, Farrell? Well, I mean, I'm, I, take, I, take, I absolutely take what you say that in that regard. I don't necessarily think that going up to the Premier League this season or not getting there is is the worst thing in the world. You know, I, I, I've said quite a few times in the past, like building building somewhat of a legacy and a, and a squad uh, for over a period of time is something that I would like to see. Um, you know, I, I want to get away from this sort of short-termism of getting up to the Premier League as quickly as possible and and see what happens because we can't build on it for, for a, you know, over a long period of time. If we look at our... 
you know, uh, our competitors up near the top of the league, West Brom aside, like Leeds have, have been building something for a couple of years now. Brentford have been slowly building up their their squad and the way they do things over a number over a period of time. But obviously that they've changed managers, but that's you know, that that's because that some of their managers have been poached by other teams and but they've decided to keep up with, with the same players and and um build a squad and build a mentality. And I, I'd be happy at the moment, considering that yes, Scott Parker is is very inexperienced, but I'm 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 willing to to be able to wait, you know, two, three, four years for him to get that experience because he quite clearly loves the club. He speaks he speaks very well of it. You know, he's been at the club now for seven years or something like that. Uh, obviously, he left to go to Spurs in between. Um, but in his first year, if he finishes in the playoffs, in his first time that he's ever actually. Um, had a managerial role. I think that's pretty good going. You know, it could have been a hell of a lot better, but it could have been a hell of a lot worse. But so he's I'm, not. I'm, is he going to be given that time realistically? No, I, I personally, I don't think he will. I, I, I don't think the come the end of the season, if Fulham get into the playoffs and and don't succeed, I just I don't see that happening. Considering how the you know the senior management have behaved in the in the past, they they do want to get up as quickly as possible. But if it was my choice, I would I would stick with him. I think I don't think it's been the worst season in the world. You know, at the if you think about some of the players that decided to stay, they knew that Scott Parker was their manager. Tom Kearney's Tom Kearney and Alexander Mitrovic. It's more likely that they will stay next season if Scott Parker in the. It, was if it was Scott Parker at the helm, unless we decide to unless we decide to go for a marquee managerial signing, which I, I you know I don't see that happening. So we might as well you know the grass is greener. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. I'm I'd be quite happy if Scott Parker is the manager next season and we don't go up. I'd have to I'd have to take exception with that. I think uh, the way that there's this the whole world has gone in the last few months. I think we need that shot in the arm financially, if nothing else, going up because you know we don't know what's gone on behind the scenes in terms of depleting funds. Uh, you know, from having a, 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 a an enforced pause on the season. Um, you know, you 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 do more damage not going up than you do being a yo-yo club. Uh, sort of to a club's sort of long-term financial future. And I don't think that we can afford to mess around with that. I would also suggest that if we don't go up, uh, that's it for Parky. He had one job. I could have taken Fulham up this season. I think it's harder to keep us down than it is to take us up with the squad that we had. Um, and I think uh, if he, it's, it was always Premier League or bust when he got brought in. That was the, that was never really, it was never a, a secret. I mean, I think even Tony Khan said it to, to you and uh, Jack Sammy, you know, automatics is the aim. Uh, but Premier League is certainly the 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 only prerequisite of this of this season. And if he doesn't do it, he's failed and he has to go. And we were saying in December that if even if we do go up, you have a decision to make because he's shown that you know we're coughing and spluttering our way there, uh, you know, with a spate of good results and then uh, and then some turgid, horrible uh, horrible results as well. So it's not been convincing, um, and it's it's becoming less and less convincing by the day. So. Yeah, I just have to take exception to the thing of if we stay down and build a side, I just think it's a bit fanciful in this day and age. I don't think it's sustainable. It feels like a case of the Darren Moores for me, uh, as of West Brom last year. They sort of coughed and spluttered their way to a sort of respectable finishing position and then they realised that he wasn't the guy to take them forward. I think if you look at all the external factors at the club, there's so much pressure on, on Scott to to produce and to get back into the Premier League because everyone knows it. The financial fair play results show this. That if we don't go up this season, financially we're screwed. Um, we have 
some assets, thankfully, left over from that splurge in the Premier League that we can sell. Obviously, you have the likes of Mitrovic, you have Seri there, and you also have Anguissa that you can sell to sort of keep your, your feet above, well, your neck above water, sorry. But I think um, I, I would agree with someone like like Drew, and I, I agree with bits that Farrell said. It would be nice if we could build with a manager for a couple of years, but I think like being a nice bloke, like which is what everyone says about Parker, isn't enough for a team to be successful. You can be a nice bloke and have very little tactical like input into the team and have be a nice bloke but not be able to coach that well. And I think that this is where Scott this could be to Scott's detriment. Yeah, he's a he's a fantastic bloke. Obviously, the whole squad likes him. He's been around for them for a long time. He was their captain. He's now their manager or was their assistant manager. He's now their full time manager. But there becomes a point where being a nice bloke doesn't win you win you matches. Um, and I think that if we we are going to build, we need someone with a lot more of a tactical know how. And I think this is. We we can keep going on about Slav because Slav was the only success story we've had out of this club in the in the since the Europa League final, in my opinion, because he's someone that built a squad from essentially nothing, playing excellent football, and he was a tactician. He he knew how to win games. He knew how to change games in his favour, and we need someone of that ilk to come in and really get this squad on a straight and narrow. And I feel like it's it's quite a bloated squad in that there are there are a lot of big earners there. Um, uh, guys that are potentially we can we can move and ship on, and I think it, it wouldn't help. It wouldn't hurt us, as Drew said, to get a bit of a shot in the arm. Maybe look at different options here and here and there, and get rid of some of the guys that have been around for a while. I know it seems very reactionary to say this, you know, after two poor results when we are still so high in the table, but I feel like there are cracks that, that are starting to appear at the club that potentially need to be looked at. I agree with Farrell in the sense of I would love us. I, I, it's, it's hard to get away from looking at the way that Brentford has built something over time. And, you know, I think we all probably agree on the podcast that a model like that at Fulham, where we have a, a structure from top to bottom and we and we build around it and we have a coach that we back for a few years and we get there. And that was why the Slav times were so memorable. We built for a couple of seasons and then we went up and it was all amazing. But sometimes do you have to accept that the horse you're backing is never going to make it, is never going to be the right horse for you. And that's potentially where I am with Scott. I agree with Farrell. I want to build and have a, a dynasty, but I don't know if it's a Scott Parker dynasty that I want. And, and I think I'm getting to that stage of realising there's no point sacking him now. You're not going to get anyone now and you'll just be left in a West Brom situation where actually you shoot in the foot any chance you have up of going up this year. But going forward I, I, I don't see a way out I, I really don't and I really hope that I'm I, I, I'd love to be proved wrong and we've said it so many times I'd love it to work out but you just sometimes have to realise that this ain't going to work for everybody and um, let's have a look at the match quickly because we haven't really analysed that yet too much um the first goal really was quite tough to take. And, and as you say, Fulham had a good start, uh, had played well. Um, it was Harry Arter who made the mistake. Um, and they broke up down our left-hand side, shock horror. Uh, Joe Bryan w was very much caught up the pitch. Um, certainly not the first time we said that this season. Um, and it's a good finish from Patrick Banford. He's a, a player that is much maligned and is very often compared to our very own Alexander Mitrovic. But it was a finish that Mitro would have been pleased with. Um, but just, it's just calamitous from Fulham, isn't it, Farrell? Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's we're almost becoming a bit of a habit of, of teams breaking down our our left-hand side and it it was when you look when the ball breaks down we had Harry Arter who was 
trying to sort of cover in the left back position. You had Harrison Reed, um, who even though Harry Arter was was the was the one trying to make things happen, Harrison Reed was caught way out of position, um, trying to sort of receive the ball probably a bit too close to Harry Arter. And then Joe Bryan is way out of position, which leaves like a huge gaping hole in the centre of of of, um, of midfield, which is where pretty much Patrick Bamford, their number nine, is is breaking into and arrives into the penalty area late and and um, and finishes it off. Um, the, the 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 annoying thing was is that because of there were three players out of position, Tim Ream is having to go over quite far out. Patrick Bamford has the, has license to to finish that. Although yeah, he does finish it well, but he has all the time in the world to measure up that shot and put it in. Um, yeah. you know, and it is, as you can see for the two other goals, it's, 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 um, more calamity defending, but yeah. we did react well. Like, you know, I think that credit needs to go somewhat to how the team is set up that they go one nil down and you would think Leeds would start to sit back a little bit and try and soak up a bit of pressure and, and, you know, not try to give anything away, but Fulham capitalized on that you know really really well and created some very good openings so uh, you know you have to look at some of the team here and say was Scott Parker let down by some individual performances and you have to say yes yeah I mean we we did look really promising at times I, I never honestly thought that we were ever going to score no matter how many times we broke into the box and no matter how many times um, Knockart stuck it onto his left foot and just put it in that same place that he always does which is about three foot high of the goal and three foot wide um, he hits that postage stamp that imaginary postage stamp to the top left of the goal every single time I just never have any uh, any belief that it's going in but yeah particularly um, I thought Bobby Decker Dover Reed had some really poor touches in the box drew um Harry Arter broke in and I thought that was a big chance and it just didn't quite fall for him so so far was right there were some promising signs going forward but ultimately just just lack of finishing lack of composure lack of clinical edge and there's not a lot Scott Parker can do about that no, you're right. Um, I think what, what what concerns me slightly more than that is, you know, I think we did have a, a decent spell in the first half once we went down. But, you know, I think he uh, described it as an exceptional performance, which there's there's a disconnect there between what he's seen and what he's believing and, and what I saw and what I believe and, and what I think, you know, the majority of the people who watch the game on Saturday believe. Mm. So that that's a concern to me. You look at somebody like Bobby Decadova reed he suffered from this from this break, you know, you you build up. He was just growing into his role at Fulham. You know, at the start, we weren't utilising him particularly well, and I still don't think we necessarily are. But he was growing into his role at the club, and then, you know, that the, the move gets made permanent. We're all very pleased because he was in that. He was just warming up, I think, and then uh, then this break comes, and he and he's starting from uh, from zero miles an hour again. It's, and I think it's going to be uh, very difficult for him to work back up in the time that we've got left um, to, to to the place that he was. So, uh, you know, I think he's a, a, a a COVID casualty as it was collateral damage uh, however you want to say it um, but yeah I think um, it was it, it, there were periods of uh, decent Fulham performance in the first half but it wasn't what it wasn't what Scott saw and, and and I think that if he really does believe what he's saying then we've got bigger problems than, than perhaps even what do you think that we do uh, and Ben as Farrell said the real killer moment the, the kind of gut wrencher was Bobby Reed missing that chance early on in the second half fell to him so well from a corner. Um, and obviously he is much maligned. And I think there is, it's the first time I've really seen criticism go Bobby's way. And then it falls down the other end. And 
have you ever seen such calamitous defending as when a pretty average ball is played into the box and our players just just three of them fall over I, I, I honestly I watched that back and I almost wanted to cry it was so but also kind of laugh at the same time I, I didn't know what to make of it and Alioski's probably got the easiest finish that he'll ever have yeah, a, a bit pathetic, really, wasn't it? Um, it was a, a ball that was, I'd say, a little bit mediocre. Um, and then you got three of our mainstays and defence missing it completely. I feel like um, in terms of uh, the goal itself, it, it's a real traditional Bielsa goal. It's a, a breakaway. It's uh, players playing your designated parts of the pitch uh, and the other guys in midfield knowing where their runs are going to be. I feel like if you looked if, if you looked at that the run they make from the corner... 90% of, of other championship teams would not play that way, um, but Bielsa, Bielsa's team will because they're so well drilled. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was a, a, a calamitous bit of defending on Fulham's part. And I think uh, what I just wanted to go back to is like we were talking about the um, the balance of the team. And earlier on in our WhatsApp group, we had a, a graphic shared uh, from an account on Twitter called 111Tagen111. Um, which basically looked at the average positions of Fulham players. Um, you had Bobby Reid uh, playing sort of almost in line with Anthony Knockhart. And then you had Joe Bryan playing uh, left back, whose actually average position is further up the field than Alexander Mitrovic. And Harry Arta is basically marking Mitrovic, which in the first half, it worked because... Arto and uh, and Reed were very very aggressive. They were shutting the ball down and they were winning it very high, which put us on top. In that second half, as soon as Arta's legs went, the whole average position of the team ultimately leads to our downfall. It's it's damning, really, isn't it? That that graph and uh, Dennis Adoy, who just looked like he didn't play the match at all. He was just just there uh, uh, with, with <laughs> yeah. a chair up and a and a nice pitch side yeah. view of of proceedings from from the right hand side. Fair play to him. No, none of the goals came down his side. So I think Dennis <laughs> Adoy can uh, can go home and said he did a he did an okay job today. But yeah, it, it's baffling. And I, I also found it surprising that Harry Arta w- was put in for this match. I don't know why, but I would have I'd have thought I would rather either Kevin McDonald or Steph Johansson surely can be doing a better job of Harry Arter. Has anyone else got this Jamie O'Hara feeling to Harry Arter? <laughs> yes. Where he yeah. came he came in and he played that game against Blackburn. I remember thinking this this Harry Arter bloke looks looks quite good. And then quite quickly it just unraveled and you realise actually you're a fraud of a footballer here and, and your main thing is just going around clattering people. Um, speaking of clattering people, we'll come on to Mitrovic in, in just mm. a second. Um, but, and and someone said on Twitter, I'm really sorry, I've forgotten their name. It's amazing how Steffi Hansen in two years has gone from being a cultured uh, central attacking midfielder who chips in with goals and assists all around the pitch and an integral part of a promotion chase to a man that you bring on for 10 minutes shithouse players and, um, and bring them down and foul them as they uh, make a breakthrough on a counter-attack. I... I I'm baffled as to as to where you can potentially see the advantage of playing Arter above either Steph, Joe, or McDonald. Fowles, I don't know if you agree. No, I do agree. Um, I've I've always highly rated uh, Steph Johansson. You know, if anything, his his level of shit really distracted from probably what is you know one of our more technically gifted players in in the squad and someone with an engine um, better than Arter. You know, I failed to see what part of Steph Johansson's 
game is worse than Harriata. I think call, calling Harriata a joke of a footballer is probably a, probably a bit a step too far. But you know, he, he's he's no better than than any other option that we than we have in in kind of like the the situation that he plays. You know, if he's there as just a bulldozer, just a break up play, then fine, let him do that job. But he's not even the best. He's not even better than Harrison Reedon doing a kind of like box to box. Um, midfielder play so why so why is he playing in that role behind Steffi Hansen as well because Harriata is the personification of the way but what what value Scott Parker places in players and he places the intangibles over everything else over ability over tactics he he values passion overall. And we've seen that, you know, Hariata has abundance of passion. We, we've seen it, but it's not always channeled in the right way. And we know that yeah. it's, it's a tiny part of what makes a good footballer. And it, but it's well, something then, that Parker then you look at values players like overall Knockart, else. You look at players like Knockart as well, who is, you know, passionate to, you know, it's, it's like a passion off in that probably changing room at half time. They're probably throwing all sorts, all sorts at half time. Waving their arms in the air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Who can wave them the highest? And as we've seen with Knockhart, you know, he is a good footballer. He's shown some flashes of, of brilliance this season. But, you know, as as is his productive output better than our other wingers? I'd, you know, I would put him behind Kamara at the moment. And that show, that's saying a lot. I saw that someone sent us a tweet after last week's podcast and they, they gave some thoughts on the podcast. And one of the most salient of them all was, is it time to accept that Abubakar Kamara is a key player? He's no longer a player that oh, is just a nice attacking option to have off the bench. He's a key player for Fulham if we actually want to break anyone down. And I, and I, and I find it difficult to disagree. Well, the- I, I, there was a tweet I just uh, I saw some of the questions that come in. Sorry, I forgive who it's hit, who said it, but it was something on the uh, along the lines of Has Scott Parker made any of the any players better uh, this year? And the only one I can think of was Abubakar Kamara, but mm. I wouldn't say any other player to be honest. Yeah, well, uh, we have a lot of questions to get through, so I think that's probably uh, what we will do next. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Farrell Monk. Hello. Drew Healy. Hi. And Ben Jarman. Hola. Okay, let's get into your questions because an awful lot came through, as expected, really, following such a kind of humiliating defeat in front of so many people in such a big game. I think a lot of people are reeling and just want answers. When, when in, in, a lot of, in a lot of ways, there aren't many answers, but we will certainly try our best. Um, before I uh, t- take any questions, uh, this one from Lawrence Craven. Can you answer any of the questions today without using the following phrases? One, we have lost our identity. Two, we have no depth in key positions. Three, Parker was the easy choice and hindsight the wrong one. Four, Kearney looked disinterested. And five, glimpses of the old Fulham. Um, Lawrence, I can categorically say no, that will not be possible uh, when, when answering these questions. But uh, thank you for getting in touch. Essentially played Benjamin Bingo there. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Benjamin Bingo. I mean, that's that's what I responded to it, that we'd had to sub you out. <laughs> well, I'm taking the first question from our Fulhamish Kofi Backers Facebook group, which uh, if you have supported us on Kofi, you are more than welcome to join. Please come and join the Facebook group. The link is on Kofi. Um, we'll get questions from there and we kind of interact with our Kofi supporters. So please do um, join the Facebook group if you've supported us on Kofi. And uh, thank you to all of those that have, of course. This one is from Billy Kemp. Is it time to drop Bobby Reed as he is just so low on confidence and not firing on all cylinders? Or does Parker just not have any other options due to squad fitness? Uh, Kamara being out and maybe Cavalero unfit. Uh, Farrell? I would possibly say that at the moment, given the, the options that we have now available, I, w- you know, I think the potential that we see in him, I can't imagine that we could we can drop him because... You know, we now probably think that Mitrovic will get a retrospective ban. That could be up to three games because it's violent conduct. Um, Cavalero, when he came on against Leeds, we were screaming out for Cavalero to come on um, early in the second half. And when he did come on, he he was largely ineffective. Uh, Cabano's now banned. Um, We have no idea how long Kamara's out for. Do, can we, who else can, who else apart from Knockhart, have we got in the what in the forward positions to play i think though he is still one of my favorite players in the squad um we see how we've seen how good he is and it's not you know it's not about just goals and assists the energy that he brings to the team i think is a perfect foil for players like Kenny who who likes to wander into, into positions and whatnot unfortunately yesterday it, it just didn't work for Kenny and and Bobby Decker overread but you know, we've seen how good he is and how much he does bring to this team. Um, I'd probably be saying different if we had loads of other options to to choose from come Tuesday evening. It also doesn't help being on that left-hand side as well, which is just such a big problem um, for, for Fulham at the moment. And Rick Cardis, this isn't really a question, more of a point, but points out that all five goals we've conceded us since the restart have come from breaks um, down our left-hand side. Uh, and, and Anthony Fernandez, also from the um, from the Kofi Facebook group, um, says, feel like so many of the goals we concede are carbon copies break down the wing two three attackers in the box against a couple of scrabbling defenders it was the same last season uh, how can the team fix this um ben ben your thoughts on the kind of left-hand side problem and then also um anthony's point that he's raised there the left-hand side problem purely comes from the fact that our left winger always comes in and joins a midfield three so you have bobby reed that starts out on the left and then scott has has instructed him to take up a midfield position sort of getting in and around alexander mitrovic which leaves Joe Bryan completely exposed. Um, and then Joe's positioning, I think he'll probably admit it himself, isn't the best at times. Um, I also feel like if you look a little bit further in, it, it becomes a, a situation where you look at Tim Ream. Is is Ream going to be there next season and be our starting centre-half? I feel like actually the tide has probably turned against him slightly now. Um, it seems a lot slower than he was. Um and I feel like he's getting exposed more than ever in the, in this style of football we're trying to play, but not necessarily pulling off. So I feel like, um, in summary, like the problem down the left-hand side is the fact that we have no covering winger there. Um, and the fact that, yeah, the positioning is all wrong. And I don't think we've got much speed down the left-hand side of the pitch, in all honesty. If you look at um, 
some of the average positions uh, from the, from the Brentford game and from the Leeds game, uh, and where the majority of their passes come from, it's all down the right hand, all down their right hand side. So our left hand side. Clearly, a lot of managers are now seeing that this left hand side is a problem for Fulham, uh, and again, we're we're really struggling to do anything about it. Yeah, indeed. Um, Drew, this one from Brett Pund. He said, do supporters in England realise the lack of success the Khan's NFL franchise, Jacksonville Jaguars, and the reputation of it? Yes, I'm grateful for loads of money being put into Fulham, but Jags have only had one winning season in eight since the Khan's took over. Scary from a Fulham perspective. And, and I guess he's kind of insinuating here that maybe the Khan's aren't very good at running sports clubs. I don't know, Drew. Are the two connected? But... Since they've taken over, it does seem to be one disaster from another, apart from the Slav promotion years. Do you have faith, Drew, that the Khans can find a way to turn this around kind of medium term? Um, do you know what? I get the point. There's, and, I, and there's so much contention over Tony and his position and things like that. So I do understand that the, 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 the buck does stop with them ultimately. I'd say that, you know, obviously... From a financial perspective, I, I can't think of many other people we'd want. Um, you know, Khan has has the pockets that we need. Um, it's a case of it's a case of employment from the top down, isn't it? And it trickles down. And I think uh, I think they've tried. They've looked at things and realizing things aren't necessarily working uh, that well. Getting getting Javi in, and I'm not sure how much that's actually done. Uh, we had much of a chance. He's had to work his magic. Yet. Uh, I presume none, seeing as there's not been any actual business being able to be done. Um, but I think that they can see. Uh, that things aren't particularly working and they're trying to change it. So I think that is a positive sign. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think financially definitely keep them. And then, you know, from that other side, I think there are signs that they're trying to change, but ultimately, uh, you know, they need to make sure they get the, the management structure right at the club uh, on the pitch, which is something that, that that's our biggest problem at the moment. I think one of the bad things about the, the Jags recently is that they've been throwing massive amounts of money at players that certainly don't fit them. Um, if you look at Nick Foles, if you look at Nick Nick Foles, uh, Nick Foles' contract was absolutely huge, and it was clearly a quarterback that never fit the system that the coach wanted. Um, I feel like there there might be a bit of a disconnect between what what the coaches of both the Jags and Fulham potentially want their teams to look and play like, and it's up to to Tony and his teams retrospective teams uh, to to sort of give those coaches the players they need, and I feel like the the Jags are. Uh, had rebuilt, <laughs> had one good season, as I think it was Rick said. Um, and then uh, again, they're now in the middle of another rebuild after one good season in eight. Um, and I feel like this is this could be what's happening to Fulham as well. They they get to, both teams have got to a certain point. They splurge a huge amount of money on players that just don't fit the system to try and buy success and then have to start all over again. Uh, next question is from Steph Bond. He says, looks like we've bottled it, lads. Um, now the playoff spot isn't comfortable either with all the teams queuing up. Do we have enough to make it? We look slow and sluggish. And, and I think Steph raises an interesting point. Um, obviously, Brentford and Nottingham Forest ha have leapfrogged us um, and we're now in fifth position. Cardiff only four points behind. They've had a great restart, uh, beating Leeds and Preston away. Speaking of Preston, they're only seven points behind us in seventh derby be on the same amount of points Blackburn one back Swansea on 56 Millwall and Bristol City there is about six teams 
waiting to get into the playoffs. And if we don't buck our ideas up, Drew, against either QPR or, uh, and Birmingham coming up, we could find ourselves outside the playoff places, which would be kind of unthinkable and, and shocking given the position we were in going into the, the kind of lockdown. Well, we, we've seen before what it's like when we uh, start a campaign, which is effectively what we're doing when we're not ready to do so. You know, we we lost our first ever uh, six or uh, well, first seven games or whatever it was when we went back to the championship last time. Uh, you know, and there's only there was only nine games in this mini sprint left. So we've seen it can happen and it, and, and it is absolutely a possibility. Um, I was, you know, midway through lockdown, I'm thinking about when football comes back. And, and I said, I kept saying to my mates, uh, you know, it could go one of two ways. We can we can storm it or we can absolutely shit the bed. There's no two ways. There's no two ways about it. I couldn't see us just finishing third and keeping the status quo. I thought it was going to be one or one or the other. And uh, it's, at the moment, it's very much trending in one direction. Uh, I'm not saying at all that that's going to be the case, of course. But and what I'm saying is, it's absolutely possible. Um, you know, QPR is the one, isn't it? Uh, Derby aside, uh, it's the first. You know, we played Brentford and we played Leeds. Let's be realistic here. That's two very, very tough games. And we've always talked about how tough our running was. But you know, we were managed. We could have made the biggest impact out of all of the teams gunning for promotion because we could have made the most impact. Because we were playing the teams, a lot of the teams in and around us. Now we're going to have to start picking up three points. No questions asked. Derby or not, QPR is is must win. Um, will it be a, Will it be a win? I think with all of the different um, risks running around our uh, attacking options at the moment, it's going to be a tough one. And uh, I, I I personally see it being a draw, which is not enough. So yeah, I mean, can we stay in the playoff places? I'd I'd say ultimately, I hope so. But if you ask me to put money on it, I'd certainly uh, be hesitant. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll come on to the QPR game in about five, ten minutes. Uh, we've got a preview as well from Flo from QPR Pod as well uh, to bring. It's going to be a long podcast today, so uh, make sure you uh, stick around. Alan Rustad asks the next question. I'll put this your way, Ben. Um, he says, people say this squad is un- underperformed, and maybe it has, but it is light years behind the squad that was promoted two years ago. Surely better to say farewell to Mitro Kearney, older players, and rebuild again in the championship for a year or two. Is again, a I guess a little bit of what Farrell was talking about. My interesting point is I've seen quite a few people say that this squad is light years behind the the, the side that got promoted. And um, when I was talking to David Lloyd um, for the podcast last week, kind of off mic, he was saying that he doesn't think that this squad is as good as people say it is. And do, do you agree? Because I don't know if I do fully agree to be perfectly honest i i still feel that there, there is huge quality in this side and it is better man for man than the squad the squad that went up i guess the only obvious um difference is the fact that we had ryan fredericks and he was a, a massive player in that side but other than maybe right back I, I still think we've got a very very good squad yeah i think i i do i do agree with that but i feel like it's um i'm gonna i'm gonna play bingo with the guy that said don't say this it's a bit it's about depth um, and I feel like uh, a past off starting <laughs> 11, maybe plus two or three, there's nothing there. You look at the benches against Leeds and, and against Brentford and, you know, the fact that we're having to bring on Sylvester Jasper, um, you know, in the, in the last minute against Brentford to try and get some more impetus into the game. I think underlines how much Fulham have front-loaded their squad. Um, also, I, think, I feel like uh, I, I do I do actually agree and I feel like this squad is is actually behind 
um, the one that went up. I feel like um, in terms of their coaching, um, they're not on the same page. They don't play with the same intensity either. They're, we're not a dynamic squad. Um, and one of the the points that the, the previous question made was that we're slow, we're sluggish, um, and we don't really seem to have any sort of impetus. And I feel like when I was talking to Jack on Hot Mike last Saturday and when we, me, myself and Jack done the reaction video after the game yesterday... We talked quite a lot about dynamism and we talked about what players work in the championship now and I feel like since the two years that have gone up, the championship has changed completely and we seem to have missed a trick here in that our squad, um, Kearney, Mitrovic, uh, aren't the fastest guys, they aren't the most dynamic either and then you look at teams in and around us who have got all action midfielders and combative sort of defensive midfielders and fullbacks and they all seem to be faster uh, and sharper than us so I'm, I'm slightly worried about that too to be honest with you. Um, we didn't discuss it earlier, partially because I think it's kind of done and dusted, but I assume all three of us agree that Mitrovic should have been sent off in, in the first three minutes. Is there any wet, a differing of that opinion? No. no I mean, you, no. Can't, you can't argue with it. Oh, hello, Farrell. You can't argue yeah. with that, can you? Um, no, look, you that can't. That video looks pretty... Uh, pretty terrible and you know i i'm loath to give any airtime to the wally with the brolly but uh, i think we all know and it's worth it's worth saying that it's not the type of player that mitrovic is and has been for the last four years really certainly not since mm. he's came to fulham uh, he's not uh, he's not a player who he's a feisty player we all know that but he's not a dirty player he's not a player who can no longer control his emotions. So I think it was a bit of an out of date, uh, poorly researched and slightly bitter analysis on Sky. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's basically all I'll say on the matter. Yeah, well, here, here, I, on that I don't one. know if we've covered the commentary on Sky yet, but some of the stuff that they were coming out with was absolutely laughable. There was a, there was a point where um, when Mitrovic had that volley from outside the box, like, I don't know who said it, but they in in one paragraph, they managed to criticise the shot, saying, well, it was a bit of a silly attempt. It went... Uh, right down the keeper's throat and then went and then went straight on to saying what a good save it was from Meslier and I'm like it's why it's one or the other it's not you're obviously just trying to sh show off your bias there Mm. Uh, there was also the one where I, I just thought I, I luckily didn't listen to it intently because um, I had a couple of friends around but yeah I, th I think I don't know why McLaren was chosen as the co-commentator for, for this. I, I just don't think it's anywhere near his strength at all. And he just comes up with slightly idiotic comments. And my point um, on Mitrovic was um, the fact that David Manning says, if Cabano is suspended, uh, Mitrovic is retrospectively banned and AK-47 is still out. Uh, is it time to stick Jordan Archer up top with Maxime Lamarchon whipping in the crosses from the left wing? Uh, in all seriousness, uh, we must be worried about the lack of depth in the front three. Farrell, we've we've got big problems. Yeah, um, especially since we now haven't scored uh, a goal in four months. I now make it. Um, and <laughs> that's, who... that's a bit of a misleading stat, <laughs> in it. <laughs> you can you can, you can uh, chop that audio up and uh, play it play it to the players before the game on on Tuesday. Um, yeah, I you know it is it is slightly worrying. You know. I think creating chances isn't our problem. It's you know it's putting them away. Um, who who we're going to go for? You know, uh, the amount of times like Knockhart is going to cut in from that right hand side and try and put it into the top corner, as it's looking less and less likely. It's only happened once, which was in the cup game versus Villa, um, and likewise, you know, on the other side, it's it's Cavalero cutting in from the left and doing the same thing. But 
who who the hell are we going to play up front up top um it surely has to be bobby it can't be anyone can't else be anyone can else. it unless yeah, well, ak returns yeah exactly and you know if if i had to choose in between the two to play up top i'd probably opt for abubakar kamara um, yeah. ahead of freed but to be honest if he's if he's was out for these two games it's unlikely he's just going to go straight in up top you know the the only the only other thing I can think of is if if Jay Stansfield makes a surprise uh, appearance up top, I just don't think it's going to happen. I, you know, I, it's going to end up being uh, a front three of Reed, Cavalero, and Knockhart. But you know, it's I, I, is it? They've got to be a, a serious wake up call for those three to start. You know, being a bit more productive up top. I think we're more likely to see Kamara up top in a cast around his leg than Jay Stansfield to be fair I think <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be Reed, isn't it it's going to be Reed, and, and and you know we we're talking about earlier about you know is it time to drop Reed because his confidence is low we don't have the luxury of rotating players because their confidence is low or their forms out we just don't have that luxury at all in any area of the pitch um, you know certainly not uh, certainly not in the forward uh, options so it will be Reed, and I feel like come of the hour come of the man maybe but um, again that's the uh, the optimist in me we're probably thinking, though, that the the problems don't necessarily lie within creating chances. It's it's at the back. That's where our weakness has been. the the five The five goals that we've conceded in the last two games isn't because you know we haven't put enough pressure up top. It, we are just a bit flappy and weak at the back. Um, what about the zero you know, goals we scored? Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, it's changed the whole team and whatnot. You know, <laughs> You've the, been the, one that, all off. the the one thing that we're going to change is probably, you know, what I would do is put a at left back and Christie at right back, um, which was the case for the two games before lock, uh, lockdown, anyway. And you know, we got four points out of those. Um, a couple of other bits of business before we move on to QPR. First of all, I didn't realise that Niskins Cabano was sent off until this morning because I'd fully given up on the game by then and was um, <laughs> tucking into a hot dog um, while the laptop was at, at the back at the other end of the garden. So I had no idea that Cabano did get um, sent off. Um, secondly, um, I don't know if anyone uh, has read Jack and Loz's uh, blog. I regularly read I did, them yeah. um, after after the game. Um, this one was particularly good um, th- this week, obviously in not the greatest circumstances um and, and they were talking about the cardboard cutout fans that that leeds had and um they said it was like a giant game of guess who because they hadn't secured <laughs> them properly to the backs of the seats so quite a lot of them in the wind um fell forward and you could just see the seat behind it and some people were still upright because they hadn't been blown over um it was it was a I, great line so i, um, I, I, I thought i thought that they just put them up as if it was a normal Leeds game where the Ellen Road was half full and they did it like... Oh, don't. That's how I thought it was. No, that's genuinely, that's what I thought. They put it up that way. New victim in target for Farrell. Yeah. (laughs) At Farrell Monk on Twitter to the hordes of Leeds fans, no doubt listening to this. Okay, let's have a look at the um, QPR game um, quickly. We're going to speak to Flo from uh, QPR pod. I mean, they've had an app. If they think, if we think we've had a bad restart, uh, QPR have somehow managed to go one better, but also lost both of their games. But um, it wasn't to Brentford and Leeds. It was to Barnsley and Charlton. Um, both uh, without scoring a goal either for, for QPR. They were in a good run of form going into lockdown and um, it is a bit unfortunate for them. Um, let have a look from a Fulham perspective. Ben, as much as 
I'm a bit depressed and I'm not really that excited for this game because I just feel quite low with Fulham right now. We just have to get back to winning ways just to exude some confidence in the fan base to maybe take away some of the pressure of actually not finishing in the playoffs at all um, and, and just get a bit of pride back amongst the fan base. I really think that is potentially the key reason why we, we, we have to get back to winning ways on Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be massive for us. I feel like mentally um, and men- momentum-wise, we need to get a positive result out of this game. We need to get three points, give ourselves a little bit more of a buffer towards those guys that are sat in, you know, like 7th, 8th and ninth place. If Blackburn had beaten Wigan, um, at this weekend, this weekend they would have been on sixty points, which is um, a point, I believe, or two off the bottom of the playoffs. So I feel like we do need to secure that win. I mean, QPR, as you, as you rightly say, in a bad run of form, two losses since uh, return from lockdown. Um, a keeper that is bang out of form um, as well. Um, it would be nice to see us finally score a goal since lockdown um, and you know it would be it would be good to see some sort of tactical changes or personnel changes uh, maybe like the introduction of Onoma who um, Jack and Loz said in their blog that they thought he played quite well um, yeah he did I, I feel like I feel like he, he played quite well yeah I, I would agree and maybe the introduction of Stephanie Hansen um, and it would be nice to see Cav back he hasn't done too much in, in those two games but I feel like if he's a starter he can definitely so definitely give himself room to grow into the game yeah I, I think this whole Cav being an impact player thing needs to stop I think he as, as illustrated on last week's podcast he's a starter you put him on and he does good work he's technical he's tricky he can score goals um, you know from distance when players back off him he's not a man to come on the, off the bench and, and give you real real impact so I'd certainly like to see Cav start but as we alluded to earlier from, from David's question we don't have a lot of choice in the matter I think um, I think he'll be playing no matter what so uh, let's cross over to Flo Uh, she is one of the members of QPR pod uh, and I started off by asking her what her thoughts are after two poor defeats against sides against sides in the relegation fight yeah it's been an extremely poor start two one nil defeats to two teams you know right at the bottom of the table I think there's two things for us which are the biggest issue um We've lost a couple of players who didn't sign new contracts or weren't offered new contracts. Grant Hall, our club captain, uh, and centre-back being one of them, um, mainly because he didn't like the, the new deal that was being offered. But the club announced that like the Friday before the Barnsley game, which you know wasn't the best thing to do, um, I'm sure, for the squad. And I think the fans were a little bit cheesed off about that as well. And then the other thing we we have to to contend with is the fact that our style of play I don't think is massively suited to having a, a really long break from football. Um, I think any team that plays kind of a possession movement style of play that requires players to be really fit and players to kind of be together and in in motion and as one I think having a long break doesn't work and I think what I'm now sort of seeing is that the teams who are towards the bottom of the table that might play you know more smash and grab one-dimensional sort of style of route one style are you know benefiting the most from this because they don't probably require as better fitness like 
teams that are going to move it around do. Um, and I think we've also got an issue, which is the exact same issue we had last year under Steve McLaren, where play there's no competition for places because we've got such a small squad. So players know that even if they put in the worst performance of their career, they're still going to get picked <laughs> the next game. Well, I mean, I feel for QPR fans and the team a little bit because I feel like it's a similar situation to what Fulham had we were really on a roll before lockdown and it came at the worst time and for you guys it's very much the same picture you went up to Preston one of the toughest grounds in the league and and got a 3-1 win you'd beaten Derby who again probably one of the best teams um, since, since the turn of the year got a draw up at Nottingham Forest who of course playoff chasing side um, and, and then these two results are clearly an impact of the enforced break that's been put on everyone. And of course, everyone's been impacted the same by lockdown in a way, but it just really has hit you hard. And I think we're feeling feeling the same right now. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't come at a worse time, really, in terms of momentum and also how we, you know, our results were fantastic. We're on a really good run and people were talking about the playoffs. Now I'm just predicting this kind of slow and, and, and steady decline and we'll end up where we have the last sort of four or five years, which is about 16. And I think that'll be really disappointing because on reflection up to that point of lockdown, it'd been a really good season. Like we'd really overachieved and finishing somewhere like 12th or 13th would have been fantastic for us because it would have shown some progress. And I think it will be disappointting if we go through everything go through these changes and then just end up sort of where we were a year ago and it doesn't seem like we've moved and then we also are expected to lose a bunch of players Abirieze, Brightese, Samuel in the summer potentially so we we will feel like we've regressed I think and I just really want to get the rest of these games over and done with because I think it's going to be quite painful Yeah, yeah I mean looking at the the QPR squad there is there is a lot of talent in there and there's some players who, you know, are very, very good championship players. Obviously, we know about Boreze and and the talent that he has. And I imagine you're not massively confident of holding on to him this summer. But I've always liked Ryan Manning and, and Jordan Hugill is a player who loves scoring against Fulham. I don't know what it is, but every time he's ever faced us, I swear he's always notched up with a goal. And I, I believe he scored in the game at uh, Craven Cottage um, earlier in the season. So who, who, are, the, who are the real Bright Sparks and obviously Bright Samuel you mentioned there as well is certainly one to watch out for. Yeah, Bright Samuels Samuels uh, and uh, Berrieze are definitely the two standout players but Ilias Chair is also a, a fantastic a fantastic little midfielder, really short Moroccan player who was on loan at Stevenage last season mm. and him, Eze and Asir Samuel are a really kind of nice trio that have played together and sort of been in the under-23s together at QPR and have just really developed alongside each other and they've kind of created a bit of a brotherhood together and they're just, they're so in sync and like leading into the lockdown, you know, they were unstoppable, you know, so one of the hardest top three, like your front three to face in the league. And now it's, you know, it's not quite the same. Jordan Hugo, since coming back, has been seriously ineffective. Mm. Um, we, we, yeah, we had three shots on target in those opening two games and you know, against Charlton, it was, it didn't even feel like he was on the pitch. So, oh, wow. It would be great to see him come back uh, against Fulham and kind of 
re-establish himself. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with him. We've got him on loan until the end of the season and we haven't got a, a, a striker on the books, really. We've got a, an, a young player called Aramida Ote, who is a forward, who was on loan at Bradford this season, I think. And he's a good young player, but he's never really had a shot at the first team or managed to get himself in the first team for a consistent amount of time. So we don't have, yeah, we don't have a striker signed to the club permanently. So next season, I don't really know what's going to happen. Potentially, we might take Hugel on loan again because he's obviously not going to play in West Ham's team anytime soon. So I think if Hugel wants to play again next season, I hope that he puts in some decent performances and doesn't just think that, you know, whatever happens, it doesn't matter because I'm going back to a fairly juicy contract at West Ham. And I think that's the problem we've seen a lot is... We don't have any money to spend, which is absolutely fine. Um, so we do have to use the loan market. But when you do use the loan market, you obviously leave yourself kind of susceptible to yeah. players who m- not won't necessarily care that much. And I think I've it, I've always been asking Warburton the whole season in post match interviews. You know, how do you motivate the team when we're in you know, when we're in that kind of limbo between the bottom of the table and the playoffs how do you create that motivation and i think they've they've run run out of ideas at the moment that's what it seems like i mean going into this game flow it feels like the weirdest derby ever i think both sets of fans are on a bit of a downer i think we have all but chucked in the towel for for automatic promotion and uh, they're just hoping now that we somehow cling off to our playoff position you guys are kind of mid-table nothing's really going to happen there's going to be no fans in the ground of course course it just it's the weirdest derby ever I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling that up for it and I normally always look forward to a game against QPR or Brentford yeah I, I'm exactly the same I mean I know that throughout this whole thing and for years now with the rise of TV and the power of football TV everyone has said you know football is nothing without the fans and I think we are realizing that definitely now because it does feel strange watching it on the TV especially the streams, which I think, you know, the sky, the sky coverage is one thing, but when you're watching on the stream and your team are losing, it is really, really painful. Because yeah. um, it's not an enjoyable experience. So I just, I, I just, yeah, like I said before, I just want to get through these games. Like, I don't really feel excited for any of them. Uh, you know, I watch them on the off chance that QBR might score, but I've sort of, you know, reside myself to the fact that it's not going to happen and we're probably going to have a really dire few games ahead of us but it's yeah it's not a fun experience I just don't I just don't get excited about these games and I just hope next season that they can bring some fans back if not all fans back and try and get things back to where they were and it's it's going to be strange for all the playoffs teams as well that's one of the reasons I was hoping that actually QPR didn't make it into the playoffs because the fans are such a big part of the playoffs yeah the semi-finals away at home leg are so important with the fans and obviously getting to go to Wembley um you know we've both been there as fans and it's one of the best experiences if you win yeah and one of, of the worst experiences if you lose but it's an amazing experience to go there with your side so I think the playoffs are going to be a strange one this this season for for all the divisions, and I just I'm just so looking forward to things going like like, like the rest of society 
not just football, but I just want things to get back to where they were. Maybe in a slightly selfish way, you'd probably be quite happy that QPR are just going to kind of float mid-table and then go again next season. Because I've also got this feeling, like, even if we got promoted this year, it's not going to be the buzz. You're just going to be like, oh, good, we won. I'll celebrate at home or whatever. But it's taken out so much by by not being in the ground. And, and as fans that both go regularly to see, see our teams, I guess there's just... Uh, I'm actually slightly relieved that maybe we're not going for the top two because it just would everything would have get got taken away had it been behind closed doors. Yeah, I mean, do you think that next season, if say you guys make the playoffs and you don't go up through that mechanism, are you confident that you would get automatic promotion next season? I mean, no, but I'd, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think we'd give it a shot. But of course, it's going to be a, a tricky summer for us with uh, Mitro, I imagine, would be likely to leave um, if we if we don't go up. On a similar vein, what, what is your thoughts on, on Eze? He's clearly one of the best players in the championship. He's someone that we're going to be watching closely on Tuesday. Do you you think QPR might be able to squeeze another season out of him if, if if obviously nothing happens, which is kind of looking bound to? No, I think the chances are extremely slim. I think it's unfortunate that coronavirus probably would have impacted his value a little bit. Mm. I mean, I always look at James Madison going to Leicester City for 25 million and having that as my kind of you know, top price, that sort of standout figure for a top championship player. I do think when James Madison left to Leicester, he was a more complete player than Eze is. And I think if Eze is rumoured at the moment to go somewhere like Palace, I think he would fit in quite well there. And it's looking like we'd probably maybe get about 12 million for him. Um, But uh, yeah, we need to cash in now. We need to get that money. And the most important thing when it comes to QPR is that money needs to be spent well. We have a very long history of not reinvesting funds the right way. And that's sort of why we're in this mess is because, you know, as much as the fans love fantastic players, the way football is at the moment is you've got to, you know, you've got to really eke out all the value of your assets and you can't, you know, that's why Brentford are doing so well is because they're so good at reinvesting all their money and you know, they keep they keep it moving, they keep the cycle going and they are really one of the few teams who can do that. Yeah. And I think QPR are moving towards that. You know, we've, we've really created some good foundations. We just need to hold on to a first team manager for, for a bit longer. But in terms of the academy and with Les Fernandes, director of football and Chris Ramsey is kind of the head of, the head of football, if you like, in terms of academy and everything. I think we're moving towards that, but we just always, always buy rubbish players whenever we do have the opportunity to cash in. And I just hope that we we think about the long-term future of the club and do think about using that money wisely. What did QPR fans make of Fulham's time in the Premier League last year? I think we all kind of were a bit snobby about your time in, in the Premier League when you came up and you spent all that money and it was on terrible aging players and, and it just really didn't work. And then we went up to the Premier League for the second time and kind of did the same and you know have come down with a massively bloated squad the highest wage bill in the championship by by a country mile and there must be a element of QPR fans going yep been there done that got the t-shirt yeah I think it, I found it extremely ironic because we could see you going for basically going through the same car crash all over again and hopefully it won't cause 
you know, long-term damage to you guys like it did for us. Obviously, the, the parachute payments help, but they eventually run out. And if you don't offload some of those heavy contracts that you took on, you can really mess up your club. And, and that's where we went wrong is we signed those players to three, four, five-year contracts, very good, like ridiculously good contracts for a club of our size and mm. our position. And we're still paying the price for it. You know, we only recently managed to lift all those guys off, off our books and every season we we are reducing reducing the debt if you like but it's, it's a long it's a long process so yeah I just hope you guys don't don't go through the same thing I know you, you know you did manage to off offload some of those players but there are a few who are who are still there but um you know obviously I don't know what sort of contracts they're on but the problem we had was they were all on you know ridiculous contracts and and that's where you really pay the price yeah i think fortunately most of them had kind of relegation clauses in when that and that was one smart thing that we did amongst the madness but yeah it, it is a little bit of a mess and if we don't go up this season i think you could look, be looking at a qpr situation in a couple of years i don't think it's too far-fetched anyway Flo, just quickly back to the game uh how do you see it going and if you had to, and if you were forced to make a prediction what what do you think uh, the score will be uh, i mean i think every game feels like an away game at the moment so i don't think being at home is going to help really at all mm. uh, and the craven Cot cottage and loftus road pitches are quite similar so i don't think there will be a home advantage in in that way I just hope we'll score, but I think Fulham are a far better team, far better squad, better striker, obviously. So I think it's probably going to be 2-1 Fulham. Okay. Not very often you get um, a Fulham victory whenever we ask the opposition fans, but <laughs> I guess in your situation and after the last couple of games you've had... Um, not not massively surprising and uh, I guess actually if you'd have probably put the uh, boot on the other foot and asked me I'm pretty feeling pretty low about Fulham right now so I'm probably would have uh, maybe said a QPR victory or uh, at least a draw I'm, I'm not massively feeling confident myself but anyway Flo uh, thank you so much for being on Fulhamish thanks uh, thank you very much to Flo from QPR Podcast giving us her thoughts ahead of Tuesday's derby uh, against QPR. And um, it's safe to say when we both recorded it, chaps, I don't think either of us were really in the mood to talk football. Um, the morning after they lost to uh, Charlton and we got absolutely tonked by Leeds. I think both of us were, were there, but, but wishing we weren't um, with no disrespect to each other um, as people. It just, uh, I don't think either of us were particularly in the mood and that may have come across in that interview view but you know it's real it's raw and that's uh that's sometimes how football is um before we end the podcast uh, and title it, um, one thing that we haven't discussed um, in this podcast, there's been so much to, to f try and fit into a podcast today. I can't remember a game like it. Imagine if we'd actually won the bloody game. Um, what was the handball not given for Fulham against Tyler Roberts? It was at 1-0 and it was one of those where you can't fake that reaction from the Fulham players because four or five of them instantly ran to the referee. And I do wonder if it was to our detriment um, it was a clear handball by Tyler Roberts. And whilst, yes, maybe the decisions even themselves out because of Mitrovic not getting the red cards, um, Drew, it doesn't escape the fact that we were very hard done by there. And 
and it was amazing again that the Sky commentators seemed to think it was harsh if that was given. And I was like, it's hit his bloody hand square in square on. What it? What more do you need to prove to you that's a handball? <laughs> I suspect that the um, if the ref was to come out after the game and talk about it, he would say that his arm wasn't in an unnatural position. So I can see kind of both sides. Uh, there was also the tugging of Mitro's shirt so much that his nine was on the front of his shirt, which I think <laughs> was uh, was something that also should have been flagged up. But you know, it's it's one of those things where in this is where having no fans comes into play. I think because you know at the end of, at the end of the half we go in one nil down and you, you know you come back out and there's you know without the fans getting on the backs of the players on, on either side and and without the, you know all of that sort of that pressure that to try and get back in the game I think it's very difficult it's a bit of a cold uh, cold way to start the second half having having that what's perceived as an injustice in in the first so Whereas it's always unlucky when you don't get a penalty that you think should be a penalty. I think, you know, it's one of those few things that's compounded by, uh, you know, behind closed doors football in a way. Yeah, indeed. Well, it was it was a dreadful afternoon all around. Lots to talk about, but really not the outcome we would have wanted. And um, maybe we can, we can kiss goodbye to those top two dreams. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Um, hope it's maybe been soothing in some kind of way i don't know like putting deep heat on your knackers yeah uh, wow <laughs> lockdown is getting to drew is that sleep deprivation I, i've yeah. had two beers during this recording i'm sorry fair play i think Holy people drew might have back. Had- I think people might have needed two, three beers just to even get to the end of this podcast. So uh, if you made it, congratulations. Um, So we will be back on Tuesday. Uh, We will be recording the night of the QPR game. Jack will be hosting, uh, looking back at everything that happens in the QPR game. And of course, looking ahead to the Birmingham City match that is on Saturday. Um, Drew, I gave you the responsibility of the three word reviews. I'll also give you the responsibility of naming the episode. What would you like to go with? Um, he puts in a hard graft every single week with about 12 of them but this week he's really got me it's Sol Bamber with socially distancing premiership okay I like that one Drew but I've got a bit of an issue I I can't we can't be calling a podcast the premiership so I, I feel like we need to change it to premier league and then I will I will permit it um, as, as a podcast title would, would you be okay with that yeah let's let's bend the rules for Bamber yeah, let's bend the rules slightly because it is a very good it is a very good uh, review. So thank you for listening today. We'll be back on Tuesday. All that's left to say is thank you to my guest, Drew Heatley. Thanks, guys. And don't put a uh, deep heat on your knackers. <laughs> ben Charman. Thank you all. Cheers. And Farrell Monk. Obrigado, Sambo. Hoping for better things on Tuesday. Come on, you whites. Yeah, I'll follow. Cheers.